Blog Talk Radio. Traumas and neglect, and we do so with only two goals. The first goal, educating the public. 
especially as related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse. That's abbreviated CSA, presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic, worldwide problem that affects everyone. The second goal, offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse, and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. So if you wish to be a part of the show this evening um, and be on our panel, we encourage and invite you to come on. The number to call is 595-2118. So I, um, as you know, I mentioned Kim and I are on the line as hosts, and our guest, Julianne uh, Grace from the UK is on. We also on the panel supporting uh, Julianne, we have a NASCA family member, Lori, from New York, and Philip from California. So a lot of support calling in for you, Julianne. And I wanted to um, read um, Julianne's bio. And again, so thankful that she uh, took the time to uh, provide the synopsis of her story. Um, she is from the UK, as I mentioned. Uh, Julianne Grace is a child abuse survivor. She's also a musician. She was born into a violent, abusive, and religious cult-like environment. Julianne suffered the pain and trauma of physical, sexual, and emotional abuse as a child. Singing became an escape, and she would often climb into her room closet and sing. Leaving home at just 16, she had always felt unloved and unvalued which left her trying to get love from intimate relationships, which in turn left her susceptible to abuse as an adult. It wasn't too long before Julianne found herself leaving a narcissistically abusive marriage. And when she did that, she lost everything, her home, work, and family, which brought her to her knees. Interested in personal development and healing from a young age, it was then that Julianne realized that this time she needed to heal from the inside out. She became willing to take radical responsibility to heal herself, healing all her feelings, releasing her trauma, and loving herself, indeed giving herself the love she had never had. The more she did this, the more her life began to transform as she developed boundaries, supported friendships, bought her own home, and met the love of her life. Julianne began writing songs about her experiences and healing journey to inspire others. So she has now written and recorded two albums. She has a website. It's www.julie, which is J-U-I-L-E dash Anne Grace, which is all one word, A-N-N-E-G-R-A-C-E dot com. Her first album is called Met by Grace. It takes a listener on a journey from the darkness of abuse to the joy of loving yourself and being free. The other album, entitled She Sings, She Soars, was written as a celebration of the human spirit and how we can not only survive abuse, but can really live our dreams and create the lives with the love we truly deserve. Her message is that there is love after pain and hope after despair. Wow, incredible. Um, I cannot wait to hear her story. And without further ado, Julianne, um, I have unmuted your microphone, and I just want to welcome, on behalf of Kim and Naska and myself, welcoming you onto the show. Thank you for calling in from the UK. 
Thank you. Thank you. It's beautiful to be here. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. So I'm just overwhelmed already. I'm almost speechless, which is very rare for me. Um, <laughs> um, others will tell you, but I'm so overwhelmed by your story and your journey already. And uh, so much of it also resonated, as you know, we're, we're all, most of us are all, you know, adult survivors of child abuse. And even though our our um, individual experiences may be slightly different, the feelings are largely very, very similar. And I found myself relating to so much of your of your bio that I just read. Um, as mm-hmm. we do um, shows, I, you know, um, as you know, we archive them. Um, and so your scan number 3106 will be archived. Um, we have done almost 4,000 shows over the time that NASCA has been um, in existence and they are archived and we have so many people from all over the world listen to the shows um, after they are archived, uh, recorded and archived. So, um, you actually, you know, giving us the gift of your story um, is is something that actually um, keeps giving um, after after the broadcast is over. So it's a gift, really, that that one brings um, with them when they come on the show. Um, and mm-hmm. so, speaking of that, and how the show will run tonight, as, as you know, it is it is ninety minutes. Um, and it obviously goes by quickly, especially after these long introductions that I, we all give um, as the show kicks off. Um, I try and break the panel twice during the 90 minutes so they have an opportunity to ask you a question about your story. Um, and uh, the last thing I just wanted to mention is, well, two things. One, I do like, we do like to go chronologically through your life, um, starting at childhood just to paint a picture um, and go through your story chronologically so that our, our archives um, and special guest stories, are there's some consistency um, in the way the show um, is, um, is run. Um, but I also um, wanted to mention that, um, so I may ask you some questions, you know, to go along the timeline of your life, but uh, just know that um, this is your night and, and your story. So uh, you are totally in, in control, and, and you can share what you feel, you feel comfortable with, um, and you don't have to share anything that you don't feel comfortable with. So I just wanted to let you know that you are completely in control, um, and I just, um, you know, we're just here to um, to, to move you through um, the process. So um, without further ado, okay. I wanted to, uh, to um, ask you if you wouldn't mind just sharing a little bit about, you know, your childhood and, and maybe the family you were born into, who was in your family, where you were born, and sort of take us through your life from your earliest memory um, um, and then move forward from there. Okay, sure. Well, thank you again to, um, for having me here this evening. Um, so, yes, I was born um, in Wales, in the UK, part of the UK. Um, my father was very violent, um, He would, um, you know, I would regularly see him hit my mother um, and just snap at the drop of a hat. Um, I had a younger brother who was uh, 18 months younger than me. Um, We had, you know, I just remember we had very little money. My father was um, always out of work, 
um, wouldn't keep a regular job. Um, he was also, uh, it sounds strange to say, but he was very religious. Um, and so, you know, life would go that one day he would be fighting in the garden with the neighbours. Um, and then the next morning he would be off to church with a big Bible under his arm. Um, and would regularly kind of, you know, shout about the Bible in, to my mother and quote different scriptures. Um, and then, you know, he would be losing his temper, throwing things around. Um, he also hit me and my brother. He was in and out of prison for different assaults. Um, I remember once when my mother was drying, she was giving me a wash just by the fire um, and a brick came in through the window where he had thrown a brick in um, through the window and just hitting me very um, narrowly. Um, and um, so my mother, um, one day, she, my, my father had left for work and my mother um, told us we were leaving. And I would have been um, almost six and my brother was four. And I just remember um, her saying that we were leaving and we were going to go to London. And, you know, while he was at work, she said that we had to pack really quickly um, and, uh, and we ended up going in a, a black taxi, big black taxi, all the way to London. Um, and as a child, you know, as a, as a five, six-year-old, I just remember it all being very exciting that we were getting this taxi all the way up to London. Um, although kind of strange as well that we were leaving um, but she told us we were going on holiday um, and um, that we were going to a friend of hers and so we anyway we arrived in in London and um, it was really like going from the fire pit into the fire. Um, it turned out mm -hmm. that this friend that she had um, was involved in a religious cult. And um, I guess my mother was very downtrodden. She was very insecure. She was... Um, incredibly um, weak and fragile um, and the woman in this household where she had gone to was incredibly domineering 
very, very dominant personality. Um, and really followed this religious cult which believed in the extreme discipline of children. She had two adopted children herself. Um, and so we were suddenly thrown into going to um, church um, very, very long. It was a um, Pentecostal um, church where the majority of the participants were um, people of colour, which absolutely nothing wrong with that. But it was a very extreme um, environment and just a huge amount of rules. Um, and regulations um, and there were all sorts of things you know if you fell asleep in church then you would be beaten when we got home um, and um, so this really you know involved physical abuse, being regularly beaten over things such as falling asleep or not brushing your teeth properly or um, looking the wrong way, you know, it was just very extreme. And um, one of the, the worst things was that um, this woman that we, that we lived with would gather everybody around in the house, her children, her husband, my mother, my brother. Everybody would kind of be gathered around and this would happen late at night um, when we got home from church and she would um, say that everybody was to laugh while we were being beaten. Um, including my mother. And um, my mother would leave us um, with an uncle that I had um, who had schizophrenia. This was a bit later on when I was eight or nine um, and he started sexually abusing me um, she would go to work and, and leave us with him and he started sexually abusing me. Um, it was, I felt just incredibly alone. Um, my brother um, had severe learning difficulties and um, was also very violent and had behaviour problems ever since I can remember. Um, and so a lot of my mother's time went on him um, going to the school and trying to sort out his problems. Um, and 
you know, I became just very, I just felt very alone. It was as though um, I was just left out, as though everything seemed okay for me because my brother had so many um, problems. Um, and so I just became very withdrawn. Um, and at some point I tried to tell my mother what my uncle was doing and she didn't believe me. Um, so it just carried on. She did nothing to intervene. Um, yeah, so... Oh my you know, God. It, it was just... Yeah, it was full of neglect and emotionally just um, I, I just felt that she wasn't there. I never felt loved at all. Um, yeah. Um, I left so home I when... Sure. I'm sorry. I, I just wondering if I, if I may ask, you know, a question. Um, and maybe this might be a good time to take a break to the panel if you're okay with that. Um, if you're all right, if I, after my question, if we just allow our panel to, to ask you a question um, before you continue on, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, you know, as, I, as I'm listening, uh, I'm actually really uh, intrigued, not intrigued, but I'm, I'm almost impressed. So, you know, being myself born into, you know, was born into abuse as well. Um, and my recollections are, um, I have some clear memory um, from, you know, very young, two, three years old, and then I have big gaps um, where I don't mm-hmm. remember anything. And it seems like you're very, uh, you're very lucid and you have a lot of memories of a lot of events. And um, so I'm thinking, wow, you know, you were, you really were, all this abuse, you know, and when children dissociate, you were very present um, and aware of what was going on. That's more just a comment. But, uh, you know, my question is, you know, after your mother fled um, in the taxi to London, um, did you, did your father ever try and come to find you? Was that also something that you feared or did he, did you ever see him again during that time? Um, he did um, come try to come to London a couple of times, and um, but they they didn't let him in. And um, I've since found out that he did try to leave presents for us, but they were never given to us. Um, so we didn't see him. Um, I didn't see my father again until I was 19 when I tried to find him. Um, yeah, so no, we, we didn't see my father again as a, as a child, no. There's such, such, a, such a deep pain when a mother um, neglects her children, um, and I understand that um, from my mm. own personal experience. And, uh, you know, I never try and, you know, compare or quantify the abuse, but I, I know it's a such a, I 
can't think for of a you know a deeper a deeper pain than to to be abandoned by a parent really um in mm. terms of their their neglect and when you started explaining about your uncle and the sexual abuse you know I was thinking to myself I wanted to you know ask you if your mother had suspected but you know as I, I I'm a mother you know even, I feel like you know they you have to know on some level um when your child is being you know, mistreated, the maltreatment yeah. and, and the abuse. Um, it, it just sounds to me like there's this pattern in what you're describing. Your mother just being so numb herself that she just refused. She was willfully ignorant um, and just, you know, was almost in, just couldn't even face the pain herself of what you were all having to endure. And within that, she just sounds like she that's where a lot of the neglect came from is what I'm, I hear. It's just, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I, I, um, you know, I believe that trauma begets trauma in so many ways. And my mother had her own trauma, um, growing up and, you know, I, I have an understanding of that now. Um, of course I didn't at the time. Um, right. It was, um, my relationship with my mother, it was almost as though I just wasn't there. She was very, very consumed with my brother. Um, she was very consumed with her own pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, my my experience of what that was as though I was trying to just bring myself up it was um and I, I want to say as well that I had this ever since I can remember I had this real feeling knowing if you like that somehow my life is about something more mm-hmm. and I just remember being really young. I mean, this has been such a big part of me since I was, ever since I can remember, that this kind of experience of almost looking down at my, at these people, like from above, like just looking down and um, and thinking I wouldn't do it that way having a very Mm -hmm. strong, um, intuitive, almost like I was the adult, even as a child, Um, Mm -hmm. this real feeling and and knowing that I wouldn't do it like that. And Mm -hmm. um, just a very strange feeling that... Um, it's been with me ever since I can remember, and it kind of carried me through that. Yeah, that real knowing that my life was about something very, very different to what was going on here, and an ability to see into everything and see what people were feeling and. 
see into the unseen and what people weren't saying. Um, that was very much part of my experience as a child. Mm-hmm. And it, it kind of carried me through. Yeah. You know, thank you so much for for bringing that up and for sharing that because um, thank you because I have heard so many um, other other stories and testimonies um, on this on the NASCA shows over over the years and what what I have um, seen um, as a, a great um, sort of almost a um, similarity in so many of these stories, um, even though they're so hard to hear in terms of the the, the content and the facts of the abuse, um, it is so hard because we know um, the pain and can resonate with that. But I also, the, the, the similarity is that there is this, um, from this vision, if you will, this um, will to, um, or understanding that there is a better way, that there is hope, that there is going to be a different path. There's a decision point that's made very, very early on in life that um, there's going to be um, a change um, in the trajectory um, and, uh, and that, um, you know, the decision to heal, the decision to, to do, to break the cycle, to not repeat um, the mistreatment, to... Um, that what of what you're articulating, um, and that is uh, something that I really truly believe. Um, you know, we we are um, writing the outline of the chapters of our future as children because you know that is our our vision and our goal, and that's how we get there, and that's how we end up going through the healing process eventually. Um, um, because of that decision point that you said that that just you know you knew, um, and so thank you for sharing mm-hmm. that. You know you from a young age, and, and I think that's also a semblance of control. You know, we can't control um, as children. We have a lack of control um, as to sometimes where we live because we're young. We can't go out and get jobs if we're four or five or six years old or seven years old. Um, but it is to know that, that there is a willfulness um, um, and a, a, a desire and a drive to, to not do the same to, to change the trajectory. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I am going to invite my co-host, Kim, um, to just, I'm sure she has a question or a comment for you. Um, so Kim, you're on um, with uh, Julianne. Thank you, Penelope. And hi, Julianne. Hello. Nice to meet you on the phone. <laughs> Over the mm-hmm. internet, I'm so glad you made it. Thank you for being on and, and telling your story. And I'm too just like Penelope. I feel so strong. You know, I have these strong feelings when everybody comes on. I'm, I'm like, no, they, they, that little baby should not have gone through that. And mm-hmm. um, so I'm sorry all the little all the things that you were subjected to. And and I can also you know resonate with the mom thing and not. <laughs> You know, not recognizing that there was a different way. I, I guess I've wondered that throughout the years, too. I'm like, why why did I decide that there was a different way? But, you know, my mom didn't. 
and um, and she passed away 20 years ago, so I really don't have that answer. But um, mm-hmm. long before I started my my healing journey as well. But um, yeah, I can just resonate a lot with you. And so now, did you? I, and I might have missed it. I I apologize if you said this. But um, was your uncle that abused you your mom's brother? Yes. Yeah. It was your mom's brother. Okay, that's what I figured. Um, do you know if he abused her at all? If that might have been a possibility? I don't think so. No, not I've I've never had any um knowledge or inclination of that at all. No. Yeah, I just and the reason why I ask that is because I know that my mom said to me when I told her um, when I was 15, that my stepdad had abused me, and she told me basically that it happened. You know, so she had that because of her abuse, and it, it was um. generational. I know my grandmother was abused as well, but for some reason, in my mom's head, it was just going to happen at some point, I guess, with her daughter. And that bothered me for so long, and I just kept thinking, and that was 15 when that happened, and I, and I, then I got pregnant with my daughter at 18. And immediately mm-hmm. my thought went to, no, I'm not going to let it just happen. There's got to be a different way, you know. So um, I, too, just applaud you and admire you for, for turning that around, and I can't wait to, to listen to your music. Um, oh, thank you. So thank you for sharing. Thank I you. Right now, but <laughs> thank you. Oh, thank you, Kim. Um, I'm going to invite on um, Lori from New York. So, Lori, I'm unmuting your line, and you're on with um, Julianne. Hey, Julie. Um, you've got a really interesting story there. Um, I'm going to pick up from like where you started in the beginning when your mother finally left your violent, aggressive father. Uh, as kids, we don't really recognize that they're doing it for us, but I think she made a good decision. And um, the distance between you uh, from all that shock and trauma um, was beneficial, even though she, you didn't get the presence and felt abandoned and all that other stuff. Um, the way he sounded by you, I think it was best that the break that you had, you needed, you know, because I pictured you singing in a closet, and I grew up with a sister who did that, too. And I know, you know, what she was going through, so I was like, oh, my goodness, this, this poor girl, you know, she, she's hiding, and I know you've got a beautiful voice, just, you know, because I can tell these things um, just from my musical family. So um, I don't know. My heart, like, you captivated me right then and there. But your mother, mm-hmm. your mother, you might not know, and she might not even ever admit it, but she became the way she is and uh, did the things she did because of traumas that she suffered um, if she didn't bring it up to you, she's never going to probably deal with it unless it's brought to her attention and she reaches out. You know, you can't force somebody. But it wasn't you, um, you know, that, that made her that way. 
have a, having somebody in family, a sibling who is has such immense needs, um, uproots everything that's supposed to be normal in the family. It's just it doesn't happen anymore because of that child, and I know that because my son is handicapped. So you actually basically you know that feeling of invisibility. I could see that you know it's happened to you, but that's the reason why it's still not your fault. But you had this reserve to continue with your music, and you were getting at your feelings through your singing and all of that. So you had the the presence of mind to have like an outlet for yourself while you had to go through until you were of age to you know to really get out and start doing what you wanted to do. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that your mother didn't believe you, it kind of, it's not new to me, but it still angers me. Um, she might not believe you because she just didn't want to, because she couldn't handle um, everything that, all the blowback from all that. She just didn't want to deal with it. That's why she wouldn't believe you. I'll bet anything that she knew once you told her, you know, thoughts came to her head. She she saw her, she knew, she felt, and it's her brother. So, you know, she knows his personality. All of that still isn't anything to do with that you did. You know, you didn't bring it on. You didn't ask for it. You didn't do anything. But what I like about you so far is that um, you know you're going to come out of this. Just from what you've accomplished so far with your music and you know, your strive that I can feel that, that strong will that you have um, to get this part of your life settled so you can move on. You're going to do it. I can, I can feel it. You're going to do it. Um, I'm glad uh, that you were here because, yes, I'm also interested in hearing your music. I'm, I know it's going to be be- sad but beautiful. Thank you. Well, thank you, Lori. Thank you, thank you Lori. And I will repeat um, all of the uh, the information on the website, and I will have Julianne repeat it at the end of the show. It's also hyperlinked. So um, on the NASCA, you know, the main page of the NASCA um, website, which is www.nascanaasda.org, we have our current show schedule. And so if you just click on tonight's date and the show, um, scan number 3106, the information is also provided in the description and hyperlinked um, to Julianne's um, website where you can go and you can see um, her beautiful website and her albums. And um, lot, it's a great uh, website, by the way. I did check it out, Julianne. It's absolutely fabulous. Um, Thank you. you. It's a bright, shiny light. I know we're going to get to that. And I'm just I'm going ahead of myself because I'm so excited for you to get, to get there because I thought I was just really overwhelmed by how great it is. Um, but um, with that being said, um, Lori, thank you. And I just, I never miss an opportunity to talk about prevention and something that you did bring up, Julianne, and something that you just brought up, Lori. First of all, I applaud Julianne for as a young girl um, to have to show her mother, you kept giving your mother opportunities to be a mom, by the way. You know, for a child to come mm-hmm. to a mother and say, I'm being sexually abused, is such a brave thing. And you are giving your mother the opportunity to actually be a mother um, and to protect you and to take you seriously. Um, 
and she unfortunately failed um, in that respect. But it is a prevention um, um, uh, note here. I think it's very important to discuss this because children very, very, very rarely, if ever, lie about being sexually abused. If a child comes to you and discloses abuse or sexual abuse, children do not lie about this. This has to be investigated. Children do not lie about this. So it was brought up. Thank you, Julianne and Lori. Thank you for bringing it up. Um, You're very welcome. It's an incredible amount of courage for a child to disclose that they have been abused or that they have been sexually abused. We have to, we have to believe our children. We have to uh, take them at their word. We have to investigate. It takes a lot of courage. And I just, Julianne, again, I have to say, what, what, what a sweet, loving little girl you were, despite all of the abuse, despite leaving your home at six, to go into an even more sinister environment of where there was ritualistic abuse, sexual abuse, all different kinds of torture. I mean, it just makes me sick um, to hear that you have that experience. Um, you still had such a big heart as a little girl and and the courage to go to your mother and tell her what was going on. So um, thank you for sharing that. And again, children, we have to listen to our children. Um, We have to. We we know the statistics. We know that one in three girls and one in five or six boys are sexually abused most of the time by someone they know before the age of 18. So this is very prevalent. Um, so I'm sorry to interject on your story, Julianne. We've got one more panel member to invite on, and then I would like to pick up where you left off in your story. So I'm going to invite Philip on. And Philip, you have a comment or question for Julianne, but you're on live. Well, I just wanted to say that I'm sorry that you had to go through that as a young kid. Um, are you religious now? And how long did it take you to heal? <laughs> um, no, I'm not religious. I am, however, um, I do have really strong, in, you know, investigated spirituality, and um, so, so that took a very long time to kind of, you know, establish what I believe and what I believe is true, and have my own experience of. Um, God or the divine or however you want want to say it um, and you know healing has been very much a lifelong ongoing um, thing um, but it's you know it's been very very powerful and I've been very very fortunate with the people that I've met along the way who really supported me and, um, you know, to, to heal and, and, you know, to really, but I believe, you know, it's very much about, I had to very much take radical self-responsibility for my own healing and um, to really come out of victimhood and victim consciousness, you know, to really 
believe that I could um, I could you know live and really live rather than just survive like really create what I wanted to create in my life and really be who I am and use the the gifts that I believe I was um, given you know that ability to emphasize and to see into the unseen and to see what's not being said um, you know those, those have been incredible things in my life that I've gone on to be able to use in very powerful ways so yeah Thanks. Well, thank you. Thank you, Julian. Thank you, Philip. Great questions. Questions. I'll put back and listen off. So, Julian, we left off and you were you were saying that you um, had decided to leave home, and I believe it was the age of 16. If yeah. I'm not yeah. So, yeah. I'm just going to turn it back over to you and allow you to continue on with your story, and I promise with minimal interruption from me. You're doing a great job. Okay. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so, um, you know, as a, a young teenager, I, I felt very, very determined that I was going to leave home as soon as possible. And, you know, I was, I was very, um, just very, very determined about it, that I was going to leave and I was going to go as far away as possible. Um, and I always had this, this real thing that I was going to travel around the world. I just, I remember saying to my mother actually when I was eight years old that um, I'm going to travel around the world. Um, <laughs> and um, so anyway, I did. I left home when I was 16. Um, but I was, while I had a real fierce determination um, so I would, you know, at, in the beginning I would, um, I remember there was a family that I knew and I went to stay with them and, um, you know, and then I left there and I had various, started to meet men and boys, you know, I was very young still, um, but I was, I had different jobs, I was, I, you know, I'll just go walk down the streets and go in all the shops and just ask for jobs. Um, and so in that way, I was fiercely determined to make it happen. Um, but underneath, there was this desperate insecurity and not feeling loved not feeling accepted, feeling as though there was just nobody around, there was no support, there was no healthy role models from anywhere, um, there was no guidance. Um, and, um, and as I went along, uh, each time I would get into a relationship, that is where all of this trauma, all of this terror um, that I had experienced would just all come to the surface. 
Um, it was, and that's really how it was. As long as I didn't go anywhere near uh, an intimate relationship, I kind of got by just on on sheer willpower and determination. But as soon as I went anywhere near relationship, um, that's where it would all come come to come out. Um, and I would just go through just this excruciating pain, um, particularly each time a relationship ended. I, I literally felt like I was, I was just dying and there was nowhere to go. And the complete abandonment and being left the uncertainty, the instability, the it was just reliving it all over again each time. Um, and then there would be nowhere to go. My mother was nowhere around. My father, of course, was nowhere around. Um, I must say as well, I left out that my mother remarried when I was 12 and had two more children. Um, so I had a much, much younger brother and sister. Um, and just this, I just had this constant feeling that my mother had never loved me. And, and I saw um, the way that she was with my younger siblings. And it felt very, very different to the way that she was with me in terms of the care that she provided for them. It was a, it was it seemed as though it was a, a completely different um, experience with them. Um, and in terms of the attention that she gave to my other brother, the brother that's eighteen years, eighteen months younger than me. Um, she followed him around. He was in different foster care um, and residential care. And um, as he grew up, he was in all sorts of trouble and went to a boarding school and was in various prisons. You name it, that was my brother. Um, and my, bro my mother followed him around everywhere that he went. And um, it seemed that she just never paid any attention to me at all. Like she had kind of deemed that I was okay. Um, and so going back to when I left home, um, I, you know, as I was saying, each time I got into a relationship, all of this pain and agony would all come to the surface. And I also had a real hard time just fitting in um, because the religious um, angle to all of this had been so extreme. We were told that, you know, people that smoked, people that drank, people that swore, people that um, 
cut their hair, women that cut their hair, women that wore trousers, for example. All these kind of um, things were deemed as evil and that anybody doing, people that played bingo, people that, you know, people, these people were evil. That's what had been drummed into us. And so um, it was kind of a real shock, you know, to realize that um, people were people. <laughs> um, but trying to fit into the world, having been told some of this stuff. Um, and so, yeah. It was it was tough. It was it was a tough tough transition. Um, but I always each time, especially in relationships, each time you know I would just get up and it, it was just I I had an incredibly strong will, a fierce determination to get up and carry on, and. You know, at that time, it was just sheer willpower. Um, and as I went through my life, um, there was one relationship that I got into, having suffered a heartbreak, and I, de I decided the best thing was just to be with my best friend, and then I would be safe. Um, and I got into this relationship purely to be safe, even though I really wasn't attracted to this person, and I, I, in the way that I should have been, um, I didn't love this person in the way that would have been the best way, but I knew I'd be safe, and he would take care of me, and so I was in that relationship for 10 years, and he did, you know, he did just that. He kept me very safe, um, but I became more and more resentful. I was in that relationship for 10 years, just getting more and more resentful because I felt that I had kind of sold my soul, um, and it was very unfulfilling. Um, however, I went um, traveling with that particular person. Um, we were very, very good friends. Um, and we, you know, created like a five-year plan where we lived in a motorhome for a couple of years and worked to really save and bought a couple of properties at that time that were in the 90s when properties were cheap, um, did them up and, and put together this whole plan and then went backpacking all over the world for four years. Um which was an incredible experience and a real ambition and thing that I knew that I wanted to do from a, from a very, very young age. Um, when we came back from traveling, I um, decided that there was nowhere left to go in that relationship, and I did come out of it. Um, we remained friends. And that relationship was different in that previously to that, you know, I had attracted very unavailable, uncommitted people that it, it just, you know, 
it became um, just they were totally unavailable to me and that's all that I ever attracted. This relationship um, was different in that it wasn't that way. This person was very available to me, but I chose it to feel safe. Um, and and then coming out of that um, was when I really was my first introduction to the whole world of personal growth and healing and spirituality. And um, I really started to look into that. Um, I, met, I went into another relationship coming out of that where the whole, it was like rewinding 10 years. <laughs> and all of the, you know, it was like I had masked all the pain for 10 years by hiding in this relationship with somebody that I just really wasn't attracted to and really wasn't in the relationship for the right reasons. I had kind of just hidden away and um, escaped, you know, used it like an escape to uh, just to feel safe. And then when I came out of it, it was like the pattern, it just all started again. And I, I started to feel that huge, huge trauma that I had felt before going into that 10-year relationship. So that was when I really started to um, investigate. And I remember going to this talk called Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And um, this woman was talking all about patterns of behavior and how, you know, Unless we really start to look at these patterns and investigate them, we just end up repeating them unconsciously, you know, over and over again. And I really started to, I was gripped by what she was saying because it was like she was talking to me. And um, she was um, talking about something called breath work, which I'd never heard of um, you know, but because it, what she was saying resonated with, with me so much, I um, started working with her with breath work, which was a, a kind of a breathing technique to really get involved, to really get into the subconscious and to really get in touch with our feelings um, and to really start to process the the feelings and the memories. And that was a huge, um, a very powerful time for me. I was involved with her organization for, for three or four years. Um, during that time, I became a breathwork practitioner myself. Um, and, um, you know, she really taught me a lot and I learned a lot and I started to understand a lot and I started to understand some of the pieces um, and really, um, yeah, it was a very powerful time. And, um, and then um, towards the end of that period, um, I read a book which was all about relationships and 
I became very interested because my main area where my life didn't work seems to be relationships. That was kind of the area where most of my trauma seemed to really come to the fore. And so I became very interested in the whole subject of relationships and communication and how we express ourselves and our needs and the dynamics, the attachment styles. I just became very, very interested in the whole subject. And I read a book along those lines, um, which was written by somebody in Los Angeles. And I ended up contacting that person. And long story short, I came to Los Angeles. And um, I started working with her. I did a whole load of training, um, carried on the um, the self-investigation and the discovery and the healing. And um, I also really learned, um, did a lot of coaching around relationships specifically. Um, and um, and I started to come to Los Angeles a lot, and there was a period where I was actually looking into setting up a business in Los Angeles so that I could get a visa to be there. So I was coming backwards and forwards between the UK and there, and really I was there a lot. And it was there that I met my husband and um, it was an amazing experience Uh, he was somebody unlike anybody that I had ever met before he was also very into personal growth and spirituality and um, it was a huge just a, a very magical time um and I fell very much in love with him, um, and we were married within six months of meeting, and um, and then once we were married, um, he, you know, he was a person who would do anything for me. He was incredibly loving. Um, You know, so here I was, living in California, very close to the beach, um, with the love of my life, and it was amazing. It was an amazing time. And then, um, uh, really, after um, we got married, gradually... I started to see a very, very different side to him. And um, and the relationship took on a dynamic of him being my spiritual teacher. And um, he would flip from this very loving and kind and person that I had met into something very different, very condescending, um, very angry. I started walking on eggshells, um, just 
just really not knowing who he was going to be from one day to the next, from one hour to the next. But I was desperate to hold on to the love, in inverted commas, that I thought that I had. Um, and I was just in shock that this was happening. I was in denial that this was happening. Um, I, my life started to revolve around him and his demands. And it was very interesting because now, you know, I can see very clearly that the whole spirituality aspect to him and that this was all somehow meant to be in the name of God was such a reflection of my childhood abuse all in the name of God and and I, I just remember that there were times during the marriage where I would have flashbacks to, you know, the God aspect of my childhood. And there were such parallels. Um, and, yeah, it was, yeah, it was incredible, really, when I really... Could, could really see that. Um, but, it, you know, during the marriage itself, I, there were just brief flashbacks of that kind of conscious knowing. Um, but a huge amount of pain, a massive amount of pain, and desperately trying to hold on to this love that I thought that I had. Again, I, I now see that it wasn't love, but at that time... Um, that's what I thought and um, I became smaller and smaller in that relationship I lost my voice I lost my rights um, it was just emotionally very very demanding and my whole life started to revolve around him and his demands, and that I was to be a certain way in the name of spirituality, and this was all somehow um, the way it was supposed to be. Um, this went on. I was married for seven years um, until I just couldn't, tolerate it anymore and um, I left my marriage and I went to Bali in Indonesia this was somewhere that had been several times before um, I had been singing and performing and teaching that had, you know that had been very much part of my life as well um, and um, And it was really when I left my marriage that I was absolutely brought to my knees. I, I just 
lost everything. I lost my home, my work, my money. Um, my family were nowhere around. It was just, I was just absolutely brought to my knees. I could barely function. I remember getting on the plane to Bali and I, I had no idea how I was going to get there. Um, and I was staying in a villa there where one, one morning I woke up. Um, I must have been passed out on the floor the night before. I woke up on my bathroom floor and I stumbled out to of my villa. There was a road and I just remember being completely suicidal and that and just feeling absolutely hopeless and um somebody called an ambulance and I was taken to a clinic where a very kind doctor just held my hand told me it was going to be okay um and a few days later I Somebody accompanied me on a plane to a place called New Life in Thailand, which was kind of a place just for people to have some rest, people that were suffering grief or depression or anxiety, um, just to recuperate and rest and just a safe place to be. I was there for four months um, before returning to Bali. And it was when I got back to Bali um, that I really found, I really started to investigate trauma. And um, I'm, cutting, I'm, I'm really cutting a very long story short here and really jumping jump uh, through some stuff of what happened. But long story short, I really started to know that this time I had to really heal for real. There was no getting up and brushing myself down again like I could in the past. I was just had to heal for real. And there was no way I was going to be able to just get up and go again. Um, and I really did a huge amount of, um, of work and um, through a process that I learned and the support that I have, I learned how to go into my body when I now understand that all that trauma was stored. And I really learned how to get in touch with that trauma, how to um, really connect with the little girl inside me and how to love her back to health and wholeness, how to become the mother to myself that I had never had, and how to actually release that trauma out of my body to create space inside me to bring in, um, you know, more light, more space, more of the goodness of life. Um, it's very hard to explain, but 
Um, it was incredibly powerful, an incredibly powerful process. Um, I went on to train in that work as well and worked with um, many, many women around the world to help them through that process. Um, and then I knew that I wanted to really write music about my experiences um, to really bring hope and inspiration to others who were suffering. Um, so I wrote my first album while I was in Bali. Um, and, you know, it was, I want to emphasize that this wasn't an easy process. I've skipped through it, you know, but it was, it was incredibly um, just a, a very deep, a dark process of really facing head on all of that trauma, all of that neglect, all of that abuse, all of that darkness. Um, it was incredibly painful, but it was just as though I was ready. I was ready to do it. And I knew that it was do or die. There really was no going back. I was either going to die or I was going to live. And if I was going to live, then this is what had to be done. And that's how it was for me. That's really how it was. And I chose, I chose to live. Um, I chose to live. And I chose to do what it takes in order to live. Um, and it was, it was the hardest thing I've ever done to really get well and to bring myself back to wholeness from losing everything and from being completely broken and in utter despair. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. But coming to the other side, I knew that I really wanted to write music about my journey, about my experiences. Um, so I wrote my first album, Met by Grace, um, which really is parts of it are quite dark and really go into the depths of the despair. But then come into this loving myself again and, and really... Yeah, loving myself and loving that little girl inside me and setting her free so that she can have her full expression in the world and really be who she is, be who I am. And the beautiful, you know, just really the gifts that she has to offer and the, the beautiful um, singing and the writing that just flows through me um, to offer that to others. And um, so I wrote that first album in Bali, and then um, I came back to the UK, and it's been a, an ongoing process of, you know, finding work and making money, and I bought a home in Spain, and then... I met my partner who is now, who is completely different and very, very loving 
and very supportive and um, so kind and a real contribution and really wants me to be myself and seen and heard and really express my music. I wrote my second album during the lockdown period, which is a real celebration of the human spirit and how we cannot just survive abuse, but can really live and create our lives. Um, create our dreams, live the lives that we were born to live um, with the love that we really deserve. And and so that's my second album called She Sings, She Soars, because I really believe that um, we can soar, um, we can fly, and, you know, we can use all of our experiences. This has been. I only. I know. I want to speak to my for myself. I. I'm aware that many people won't be in this place. They'll be in various stages of where they're at on their journey, and um, I just have so much empathy and compassion. And but I really believe that we can heal and we can live the lives that we were born to live and that's my message that we there is hope and there is love to be had and I really seek to give that message through my music oh my gosh Wow, I'm just, I'm so inspired by you, Julianne, in, in so many respects. And first, I just, I want to be humbly thank you for just Hello, so are you still there? Yes, I am. Can you hear me okay? Hello? Can you hear me okay? Hmm. Did you get Hello? muted? Can you hear me okay, Julianne? This is Kim. Can you hear me? Hello. Oh, no, it looks like. Kim, can you hear me? Yeah. I can hear you. Okay. But Julian. Okay, I can hear you now, but it's very faint. For some reason, it's gone very faint. Okay. Um, Our apologies, and sometimes um, this um, unfortunately happens um, with. as you're calling overseas, so I'm glad we can at least hear us a little faintly. Um, we could hear you just fine. We heard all of your story. So thank you. It came through very clearly um, and loudly and crisply and, and eloquently. So thank you. Thank um, you. Thank you. So humbled um because of your just generosity and in in the way that you um gave us the truth um in your you know of your personal um testimony of of your experiences and and um which i know it's it's a sacrifice um mm-hmm. and takes so much humility and uh 
and you just articulated, you know, as you were talking about every stage of your experience and your and your healing process, I was nodding because it resonated so much with me. Right. Um, right. There's it's you know there's a, there's a saying that you know healing is messy, and I think you know um, to what it's I don't know how you define messy, but I feel that you know. When you said, "Well, now it's time to heal for real," you know that's just part of the messiness of of going through the healing process. Is that um, it's like a roller coaster ride, and um, and uh, you know um, sometimes we hit you know we hit walls and we have to change course. And so um, when you said heal for real, I I was just nodding, um, and I think you very well articulated as well, um, you know, the, the intervention piece and, and the, you know, of, of what we talk about in our mission at NASCA. And that is, we know that there are so many adults survivors of child abuse um, in this world that are, as you mentioned, are on different um, places in the healing journey and some, have not begun. Yeah. And there's an old old saying, you know, um, that I do not believe is, is an accurate one, but it is that, you know, what we don't know won't hurt us. And sure. when it comes to um, the trauma um, that one experienced in childhood, um, that um, adage does not, um, that saying is not, um, does not serve us. Um in order to to resolve um, and to manage and to heal from the trauma, we have to bring it out. And mm-hmm. so, and that is what you you so beautifully um, articulated that journey. And I, I say I thank you for that because I think sometimes hearing someone else's story, um, there's someone out there that will hear your story tonight and realize that um that they need to that they maybe need to start this process um Mm -hmm. that it there's there's we do not serve ourselves well to um neglect or ignore or to complete to continue to repress um Mm -hmm. the things that that happen to us so thank you from the bottom of my heart for, for sharing that and also for sharing the fact that it's it's hard work. It's humbling yeah. work. It is it is but it's worth it. It is um, worth it. It's worth it. And 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 yeah. your testimony, you know, going through that really I always my my own saying is is, you know, you you walk over <laughs> you walk through fire on cut glass, yeah. you know, to get yeah. To go, to go through this journey, it's very, it's painful, but it's so worth it. Um, and you can yes. live um, a, a life of contentment and joy. And and you have, what I think is so incredible is that you've actually captured that contentment and joy in your music, and you are sharing it, just like you're mm-hmm. sharing your story. That you're sharing that with so many people. And um, I have a smile on my face because. So much gratitude for you for for that um, giving everyone that gift. Um, thank you. Well, thank you. 
So um, I want to bring on our, our panel just one more time and let our panel know we all have about 30 seconds because we're, we're, we're getting down to the last couple of minutes, and I still want to give Julianne a minute to refer her website again. So, um, Kim, I was just going to allow you or give you a moment just to a final question or comment for um, Julianne. Yeah, thank you, Penelope. I was, um, I don't know if you noticed, Penelope, but um, Bill was telling us that that Julie wanted to play a song. So I don't oh, know okay. if you have enough time at this point. Did you want to still do that, Julianne? Um, yeah, my, my feeling is that um, we'll leave it for now. Actually, I'm I'm I I didn't know whether it was going to happen, so I'm I'm not really set up for it now. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, I apologize. You didn't know that ahead of time. Yeah, we definitely wouldn't make for you. <laughs> no, I I think there was a bit of a misunderstanding because I I had understood okay. that um you would play them on your end, so. Never mind, it's okay. Oh. <laughs> well, you know what you can do is you can go on to our NASCA website. Have you been on the NASCA website before? No, no. No? Um, so it's N-A-A-S-C-A, the National Association of Survivors of Child Abuse. And you can post any of your songs on there. We would love to. Okay, great. Them anytime. So, okay. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah, great. And Bill just said he can played off website too yeah absolutely we can go to your website which i've opened as well so real quick um so my question is have you heard of the aces study the what sorry it's called aces a-c-e-s it's adverse childhood experiences and and it's the, the study is based on how many traumas you have as a child you know is going to kind of set up your future and um okay but we want to yeah. try and switch that you know the, so the science is you know we need to, to switch that around and, and not um have all of those so if you have like seven out of the aces on this list and you can just google it a-c-e-s aces and um mm -hmm. it's just fascinating to hear because you know when you're sharing your story and i know for me this was Looking at this ACES study was a real eye-opener to me because I was so interested in finding out all the little details and ins and outs and why I'm doing this and, you know, just trying to figure myself out, which I'm still doing. I agree with you. I think it's going to be a lifelong journey that I'm going to continue to to do that. But um, but it's fascinating to go and read that. So I just wanted to share right. that with you. And, oh, thank but, you. Um, I, Thank I wanted you. to let you know I've been requested you on Facebook. I don't know if you get on a whole lot. I don't get on a whole lot either, but I like to try and connect if I can with our guests. Okay. So, thank you. Sure. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you for being on. Thank and you. Know, thank you very much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Take care. Pamela, Lori um, from New York and Philip from California. And unfortunately, we're down to two minutes, but I'm not going to be able to bring you back on, but I just wanted, I know um, I speak for um, NASCA as we appreciate you calling in and being on the panel. And sometimes these, you know, shows 90 minutes just whizzes by. So, um, but we do appreciate your support um, and for coming on. And because we have about a minute and a half left, I just wanted to turn it over to Julianne and once more to um, give us her 
website um, information and address and her handles so that um, those that wish to look her up have an opportunity to do so. Oh, thank you. So my website is Julianne Grace. So it's J-U-L-I-E and then a hyphen A-N-N-E Grace, G-R-A-C-E dot com. You'll also find me on Facebook under the same name. You'll find me on Spotify. Um, my album has been, my second album has been released on the 15th of April, and I have three singles. Um, one's just been released. Another two are released before then. Um, you'll find me on TikTok as well. If you just put in my name, you'll find me. Um, please do send me a message. You can do so from my website. You, you can um, send me a message, and I can send you links to my music as well if you would like to do that. Um, I have a performance coming up, several performances coming up, actually. Um, so, yeah, if you want to know more, please do um, send me an email through my website. That would be great. Thank you, Julianne. Thank you so much. And, and once again, you can also find her handle on the NASP website under tonight's scan number. 3106. It should be um, up in the archives in about 30 minutes to an hour after the show concludes. I want to thank Kim, my co-host, and uh, Lori and Philip for calling in. I really want a uh, special um, shout out to Julianne Grace being on the show this evening and sharing her incredible story with us. Um, um, I hope that uh, we keep in touch, um, as Kim mentioned, Julianne. What a bright light you are. So thank you. Thank so you. Very and as the show's concluding, um, as I always say as I sign off, there are enough adult eyes and ears on this to keep every single one of our children safe. If you see something, you hear something, please say something. Do something. It's our more responsibility to take action. Thank you all. On behalf of NASCA, good night. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.